And I'd say the other part of this is, is that I'm hearing more and more that people want to have meaningful work. They want to know that they're making a difference or they want to know that they're uh, being appreciated at work. Welcome to the Balancing Act Podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. Today we've got Lauren Thomas Tavel, Managing Director of Boot Camps at 2U and former Chief Operating Officer of Kaplan Test Prep joining us. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you, Andy. I'm happy to be here. Yes, and uh, in full disclosure for uh, for our listeners, uh, Lauren and I used to work together uh, at Kaplan. Uh, Lauren was in a different uh, division than, than I was, but uh, we worked together all the time. And, uh, it, I, you know, I don't, I don't hide my feelings at all that my time at Kaplan was just fantastic and we, we did all sorts of great work. So thank you for that, Lauren. I feel the same way. I miss my time at Kaplan. I loved it there. I loved the people there. So I have nothing but fond memories um, of that experience. It was, it was great. And you were a part of that with me. So thank you for that. Yeah, you know, I I, I just, I I do, I gush over it because we were able to wake up every day and know that we were going to help people achieve their goals one success story at a time, but there were going to be thousands of those success stories in that day. And no matter how bad the day was uh, with all the administrative stuff that we were dealing with, you you, you had that to rely on. So, so that was, that was super cool. That's right. I mean, the mission was strong, and I found myself more and more being drawn to mission-oriented companies, and I, I know you feel the same way, but beyond that, working with people that you really care about and care about you is magical. That is just magical, and Kaplan had that, you know, so that that was really, I have such good memories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, today, we're going to continue our series on the lightning rod question, nobody wants to work anymore. We're going to tap into Lauren's deep experience in the fields of HR, operations, and executive leadership to explore the nuance that lies behind this potentially polarizing black and white assessment of today's market for talent. But as we always do on this show, before we get started, uh, clue our listeners into who Lauren Thomas Tavel is uh, and, your, and your story. Such a big question. So, um, well, I'll, I'll start by saying I live in New York with my husband and three fantastic children. I've got two 15-year-old twins and an 18-year-old boy. And I lead with that because I first sort of identify as a working mom. That's really um, who I am. And, and, and certainly my family comes first and everything. I have spent most of my career in consumer service businesses, either in retail or education. And that Andy, as you and I know, you know, spent 14 plus years at a fantastic company uh, at Kaplan. And now I'm at to you still focused on delivering practical, effective outcome based education. So um, what I think I love so much about uh, the consumer business is the pace and energy. You know, it's the ability to directly engage with the people who are buying your services and get sort of a daily scorecard in terms of results and feedback, which really energizes me. So I, I love the work that I'm doing now. And, you know, in a similar way, I love the work that I was doing at Kaplan because of that. Yeah, I, I love your uh, your assessment of working mom first. And I just have to say that you made it look seamless, elegant, 
easy. And, uh, you know, being the, the husband of, uh, of a working mom for many years when our children were little, it is behind the scenes. It is not elegant. It is not easy uh, at all. So, you know, you are to be congratulated and are, are an exemplar of what that formula, what that formula looks like. So, um, if you had to pick one event in your life that was just rocket boosters underneath you, just that, that moment where things changed, what, what would that be? Such a great question. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine one event. And I guess the reason why I'm saying that is that the greatest accelerant for me has always been people. It's been people who believed in me and allowed me to stretch beyond um, what I thought I could even do and gave me a shot at larger roles. And in some cases, probably bigger roles that I deserved at the time. But it's funny that you made the comment even about being a working mom. The only way I can do what I do is because of all of the people around me that make it easy um, for me to then bring my best to work. So um, I wish I could like pinpoint an exact event. I can pinpoint a lot of people. Like I can just think of four people in particular that pulled me aside and gave me a shot. And I really uh, appreciate that. Yeah. Well, people, uh, some, one of the things that we like to do on this show is just really point out that people are a business's most valuable asset and magic really happens when people are, are really working well together. So that, that's a, that's a great story. Um, we're going to dive right into the topic at hand. When you hear someone casually toss out the phrase, nobody wants to work anymore, what goes through your mind? Did, did everybody just get lazy over the pandemic and abandon their work ethic, as the phrase implies? I think it's just so simplistic. It's, uh, there's so many forces at play. And with that statement, you know, the person who believes that is basically putting the blame on people as, as lazy. And I just to, you know, fundamentally disagree. There's nothing about that statement that I uh, own at all. I, the way I look at it is we have just come through a sort of a life altering experience um, that lasted a lot longer than anybody expected. We have, uh, have had two years that were very hard to navigate with tremendous uncertainty. And, and for me personally, it was just emotionally draining. And I think that's true for many people, particularly women with children or people that are, you know, uh, caring for those who are elderly. And most every sector was disrupted. So millions of people left the workforce because they either had to or they wanted to take an early retirement because they felt like their you know, health was in jeopardy. So that is wildly disruptive. Then you couple that with 400,000 plus jobs per month that have been added for 11 straight months in a row, which was remarkable. You know, I think we're up to, you know, couple of million job openings, which is um, very difficult for a business like mine and other businesses to sort of navigate with these unemployment numbers so low, it's a little crazy to think that it's just that people have made, like a collective group of people have made a choice to get lazy. I think it's just a combination of events that have come together that have created this unusual moment. So you know, sort of couple that all together, this unusual experience, people making different life choices because of this 
collective um, difficult moment as a, as a country and as a world. And now we're coming out of that and so many businesses needing more people that it feels like there's just been this mass exodus. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think it will take us a few years to get back in balance um, because people have to figure out how to create a new world for themselves. And I, you know, I think of, of women in particular that have children that they have to care for. So we went from, you know, having caregiving situations that were good, uh, for women to then having them not work because of health reasons. And now trying to figure out the hybrid approach of coming back to the office periodically to, stay connected. And, and that's, that's quite a lot to manage. And, and of course, of uh, two years, I mean, it's just a, a lot that, uh, that I think people are trying to juggle. Yeah. Um, you know, let, let's, let's just dive a little bit further into this, uh, concept of the great resignation. Uh, I, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, this musical chairs, uh, that, uh, that were a game of musical chairs that were playing or, or the concept of, uh, really, a, a the great reset. Some people, some people are calling it, uh, you, you talked about, uh, childcare, uh, what, what are some of the other shifting attitudes about our relationship with work generally? Andy, I love the notion of the great reset. I, you know, I have found for me personally, that is how, that is how I feel. So I can speak, you know, certainly for, from personal experience. One of the things that was uh, gratifying about being at home was being with my family every single day, more than I'd ever had the opportunity to do. I got to eat dinner every night with my kids. And that's just not something that as, you know, as you're working your way up into the career world, in the career world, you, you don't have that opportunity to do because you have other commitments and other obligations. And, you know, I found that so rewarding and so fulfilling, so satisfying that it became super clear to me as to what was important. Um, and I don't want to lose that. I, I want to, you know, keep that. So I think what we'll see is a continued shift to work anywhere flexibility. Um, the you know beautiful thing about technology is that it will allow us to continue to evolve how we work and to kind of think through new ways of working. I think we're all you know sort of struggling with reasonable workloads and work life uh, balance, and so you know that's that I think is is coming into more clarity for people. And and I'd say the other part of this is is that I'm hearing more and more that. People want to have meaningful work. They want to know that they're making a difference or they want to know that they're uh, being appreciated at work. So I think a lot of that is, you know, coming together in the work in the workplace to create this great reset, as you said. Yeah. And in, in my next book, uh, I talk a lot about aligning purpose personal purpose with the purpose of the business and being very thoughtful, uh, you know, top of mind about that. Not, not accidental. Don't just fall into that, but be very purposeful <laughs> about aligning uh, personal purpose with, uh, with business purpose. Let, let, let's go a little bit deeper into the return to work. You, you've alluded, uh, alluded to that. What advice I'm going a little bit off script here, but what advice do you have for somebody who's uh, who's facing a challenge with a boss or uh, or an environment where, hey, we're all going to come back into the office and 
that's uh, and 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 everybody else is adopting uh, hybrid and uh, and remote work environments, uh, striking a balance uh, there instead of oh we all got to be back in the office. What do you what do you say uh, to a person that's struggling with that in in their current uh, in their current environment? I think so many people are struggling with this. So you're very wise to point it out. Um, I, you know, I can speak from personal experience uh, at to you. We, you know, we have a lot of beautiful offices that we wanted people to come back to. And we believe so deeply in collaboration and uh, relationship and community building. And, you know, when you think of those words, you think of in person, you think of coming together and sharing a meal with one another and laughing and, you know, uh, water cooler breaks. that's, That's what you have in your head. And yet we've had to try to rethink that online and rethink that in, in different ways. And so I know that there are a lot of people that are struggling with how much time do I put against going back to the office versus working from home. The other reality is, is we figured out how to work from home successfully. And so, you know, that's also kind of, uh, well, why should I spend the time commuting and, and going into an office when I can utilize that time more effectively for me personally, and I'm as productive as I've ever been online and and staying at home where it's, um, you know, I have the opportunity to be with my family. So I do think it's a bit of a struggle. What I would say is if you are personally struggling with should I or shouldn't I and how do I handle it, I think you've got to be authentic to who you are. You have to say, it's hard for me to make this decision and hear the reasons why. And my hope is that most employers will take that into consideration and will not have a one-size-fits-all kind of formula. Uh, I don't think that every body needs to be back in the office 100% of the time. We are looking at a bit of a hybrid um, workforce and we'll have places where people can come in and, and congregate, which I think is really important. And then, you know, just as effective, uh, you know, Zoom meetings, hangout meetings, team meetings, whatever your you know choice is. And those seem to be very effective. So I feel like the new way of working will be hybrid. It will not be one or the other. And we'll just get better and better at it because the technology uh, underpinning all of this will get better and better. And we'll get more, we'll adapt more, which will be great. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to shift gears just a little bit here and tap into your experience in the skilling space, uh, because the the market for skills has a lot to do with this great reset and the game of musical chairs that we're all playing right now. Our last series of episodes, our last little mini series focused on the reskilling revolution. Your current role as managing director of boot camps for 2U really puts you in an in an interesting position to see the reskilling revolution in action and, you know, degrees versus uh, skill portfolios. I'd like you to just take a few minutes to bring our listeners up to speed on what a boot camp is and what, what's the persona of your average, uh, of your average client. Well, first, let me say, I love the boot camp business. Um, our boot camps are designed to bridge the world's largest digital skill gaps through a highly intensive project-based learning. Um, and think of that as for the most in-demand labor markets. So we are very focused at, at, in the boot camp business on what we do. We 
reverse engineer a curriculum based on this idea of zero to hero learning promise. So we take someone who has little to no prior experience and through 24 weeks help them gain enough experience to launch a new career, which is fantastic. It is so rewarding to see students come out on the other side of this very rigorous program and get jobs that have meaningfully changed their lives. We talk about our ethos as being skills, not theories, practitioners, not professors, projects, not papers. So think of it as much more hands-on, you know, much more uh, focused on getting real skill so that you can go forward with a portfolio and show that prospective employer what you can do. And that's in a 24-week program, which is pretty extraordinary. Our consumers are uh, 20 to 30s, although about 20% are over 40 years old, so yay. Uh, and we've had over 54, uh, 53, I guess, thousand graduates at this point. Um, about 34% are female, uh, which I'm you know, really excited to see more women in STEM uh, and coming into the workforce. And 31% have no bachelor's degree, which means that we really are able to take someone who maybe didn't have the best experience with higher education for whatever reason, or maybe had to drop out and give them the skills that they need to, you know, um, really start a a new career. And in many cases uh, make more money than they did before, which is very rewarding. The way we go about this is we partner with 50 or so of the best universities uh, to uh, create these programs and to expand their educational portfolio. So it's a unique space. Uh, The boot camp business is a unique space. And then we do it in a unique way and that we partner with universities. Yeah, I I just I love that. I was uh, I, I talk to traditional educators uh, all the time, uh, is, and uh, I, I have a lot of fun talking to traditional educators that are uh, still kind of stuck in the past and have this belief system that on the ground, in a dormitory, on campus uh, for four years is like the only way to uh, to do to do education um and and you know it's it's fun to kind of tease apart uh the the future where we, we have to reskill up to a billion people uh and, and even even if uh that's uh wrong by 50 percent, that's still a lot of humans that need to be uh reskilled over the next 10 years so how are we going to do that the traditional uh learn to work models uh just won't won't have the the, the throughput so uh, boot camps uh, appear to be one of those alternative pathways and i'm really happy that your business model partners with universities to help them see that alternative pathways are necessary, uh, are, are necessary and, and, and viable. So uh, I think I, you know, we've answered the question that I was going to ask, which is how significant a role do you think boot camps will play? I think, you know, significant. I think, yeah, I think pretty significant. I mean, just think about most Every organization has to go through some form of digital transformation over the next 10 to 20 years. And so the investment that is necessary and upskilling and reskilling is, particularly in a tight labor market, is extraordinary. So I feel like we're just at the right moment and at the right time to really take a hold of this and to help 
you know, millions of people upskill. So I'm, I'm particularly excited about, um, you know, being a workforce accelerant, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, if we think about, uh, boot camps as one of many, pathways into the, the the market for labor right right now boot camps seem to be very focused on tech uh, because that's the kind of the model where it's the most applicable what are what are some of the extensions of boot camps where where else can can a, the boot camp concept uh, help disaggregate the degree in, in an effective way and be that stepping stone maybe toward a degree but certainly a pathway into the world of work I'll tell you what a, a number of universities are looking at um, they're thinking about ways to incorporate the ethos of a boot camp inside their curriculum. So there we do have a couple of partnerships where boot camps are for credit or they are trying to take the boot camp sort of way of working and educational processes and put it inside of gen ed, which I think is, is pretty exciting. So there are a number of ways that you can think about taking the capabilities of a, of a boot camp. So we know how to you know, reverse engineer a job description and really create a curriculum that helps you learn the skills in 24 weeks. We know how to put the right level of service underneath you so that we get you through the process, whether it's tutoring or 24-7 support or, or um, small group sessions or homework hackathons. I mean, we do all sorts of things to help someone get through the process. So what other types of skills are there that need that kind of intensity to learn? And I think, you know, we've looked at, uh, we've looked at healthcare, we've looked at a lot of different sort of industries to say, can we take that same ethos and apply it there? And would it be successful? And in some cases, you know, we've said yes, and, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot and maybe do a pilot or two. And then in other cases, as we dial it in, we think, you know what, no, this is really where a degree matters. And, you know, the boot camp would not be as effective because the employers on the other side would not see it as, a, as a valuable, as an example. So I do think what, what we're thinking a lot about is how do you take the capabilities and apply it in different ways, whether it's undergrad, graduate, you know, or... The other place that we're seeing quite a lot of um, interesting pickup is trained to hire. So you can imagine in the world where you've got organizations who are trying to bring in new talent, but the talent may not be at the skill set that they need. You know, how could we help that like train to hire sort of right when someone is coming into an organization, upskilling them enough that they are effective on job faster? So I think there are a lot of ways that we can help in, in the boot camp world to close the gap um, between, you know, those who have skill and don't have enough skill for any number of jobs. So I'm you know, particularly excited about a lot of the work we're doing in this area. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see more about what you're able to do in terms of showing the way to 
traditional academic institutions for for alternative pathways. And you know, boot camps will be one. We we need many more work to learn uh, uh, avenues versus oh, I take myself out of the job market for three or four or five years and I acquire a degree and then I hop back in. And by the time I hop back in, my skills my skills are obsolete or at least uh, a portion of them are. Uh, so we've got to get to this place of much more uh, continuous improvement and continuous learning. And I'm excited about what the boot camp uh, can do. So let's uh, let's shift gears back uh, to the relationship with work. I think this is a good point uh, to do that. What advice do you have for an individual who, let's imagine somebody sitting right in front of you, uh, who's rethinking their relationship with work and are, are considering a career change? What advice do you have? At my core, I am a strengths-oriented person, meaning I like to play towards someone's strengths in a way that um, has them sort of align their personal passions and values and strengths with the job. And I think that's the best avenue to go. You know, you try to find a career that fills you up every single day. The work fills you up every day. You love it so much that you can't you know, that you don't want to stop. As a matter of fact, I had this experience this weekend where I had the opportunity to go to the Berkshire Hathaway investment meet, uh, conference. And here's Warren Buffett, 91, and Charlie Munger, who are 98 years old. And they sat on the dais for six hours talking about what they love, which is investing. And I, you know, I was like just struck by, if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like, this is what I'm put on the earth to do. And this is, you know, so fulfilling. And that was just, you know, so clear to me this weekend watching them as I was like, look at this, this is nineties. They're in their nineties and they're adding so much value. How awesome is that? So, you know, I don't think there's a better time to learn something new. The opportunities are endless. I can put a shameless plug in for edX. I mean, you know, anyone who has uh, gone to edX knows that, you know, it is just filled with spectacular learning programs from free to degrees that, you know, if you need a certificate, we've got that. If you want a boot camp, we've got that. If you want a micro degree, we've got that. And so I think there's, you know, no time like the present to sort of figure out what your strengths are, what fills you up every single day, what you love to do, and then, you know, try to path yourself into, you know, that opportunity through, some, you know, some learning that gives you a sense for, well, am I going to like this? And then you can go deep into it with the degree. So I'm, um, I think I'm pretty optimistic about the resources that are out there and, and feel like there's a lot of opportunity to learn for anyone who has interest in exploring new opportunities. That That's fantastic. And I think you've exposed uh, uh, folks to maybe something they hadn't thought of before, which is this concept of, of a, of a boot camp and shorter form, uh, uh, courseware. Uh, let's finish on the flip side. So let's imagine that you're sitting in a room and you've got somebody that's formed this opinion that nobody wants to work anymore. Uh, you've got this leader in front of you who's becoming frustrated with the tectonic shifts in the market for talent that we're experiencing right now and has this defeative at, defeatist attitude, what advice do you have for them? How do you try to move the needle there? Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, uh, keep your keepers, meaning be clear on 
your team talent and who you absolutely want to stay, you know, stay employed with you because, you know, it, everyone has opportunities now. So take the time to rehire, to recommit, to check in with people, to let them know how much they matter to you and, you know, make sure that you are aligning with what some of their needs are. I would say find time to bring people together in a community way, meaning allow people to build relationships with one another. Uh, You know, don't take a negative view of that. Take a positive view of that and say, how can I bring people together so that together people, you know, help one another. Um, And maybe lastly, I'd say there's a tremendous amount of outstanding talent out there. And, you know, sometimes change is good, you know, movement's positive. So you'll bring in new skills, new ideas, new talents to the team that can be very reinvigorating. So I know it's uh, disappointing and sometimes frustrating to have people, you know, leave and or turnover or, you know, wonder if someone's putting in their all. But I do think there's just as much positive as there is negative because there's a there's a world of great people out there. The you know the order of business is just find them and bring them in and figure out how to really leverage their skills and abilities. Yeah, excellent. Well, we are at time. Uh, Lauren, thank you so, so much. This has been an invigorating conversation for me, and I hope it's been so for our, for our listeners. Uh, this is My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. Please uh, press the like button, the subscribe button. Uh, please rate us uh, uh, five stars if you like the show. And uh, Lauren, again, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Andy. Take care, everybody.